I want you to turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. Turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 16 through 26 today. And we're going to talk about the new life that you and I have in Christ. And I think that's very important. If you think about what we've been doing as we've been going through Galatians, remember, Paul wrote this letter. It's an unusual letter in that he wrote this letter just a few months after establishing these churches in Galatia. He wrote this letter because he was concerned for them. He, he In writing this letter, he normally would, in any of the other letters we would look at, he would give a prayer of thanksgiving for them. He didn't just skip that because he was concerned for them because they were being distracted from the truth, distracted from the reality of salvation by those who would come alongside of them and tell them that now that they know Jesus, they also need to do these things to be accepted with God. And we've spent pretty much four chapters looking at that issue. So now we're coming to chapter 5, and he's going to tell you and I about the life that we truly have in Jesus. Not a life that's ruled by laws or spiritual things that you and I need to do to get Jesus to accept us and to do the things that we need to do, but a life that we were meant to live true living. And we're going to see that in this passage today. And I think this is where really a lot of us need to focus in on. Because you think about it, when you and I got saved, and for me that was 35 years ago, we realized with our salvation there was nothing that we could do to gain God's favor. It was all because of what he did for us. And that's the life he called us to, recognizing we can't do it. He did it for us. But someone came alongside of us and suddenly shared a whole bunch of other things that we needed to do. And so we're operating basically in spiritual defeat. That's not the life you and I were called to. We were called to a life that was vibrant, led by the Lord himself. And so Paul's going to talk about that today in this passage. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to go through these verses, verse 16 through 26. Notice what Paul writes here. He writes in verse 16, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I told you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, 
that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Now, here's what we're going to do, folks. We're going to look at this passage, and we're basically going to divide it into four sections. Now, the reason why we're going to look at this passage is because you and I need to truly understand the life you and I were meant to live. The life that you and I were saved to. You know, the sad thing is, is when we look at this passage, we have a tendency just to focus in on verses 22 and 23. In fact, you'll see studies on the fruits of the Spirit, and we'll focus in on that. That's one, just one portion of what we're talking about here. The greater truth is in verses 16 through 26, and that's what we're going to focus on. We're going to look at it basically in four sections. The first section, we're going to talk about the spiritual reality. You and I need to understand the reality of what's going on with our lives because of salvation. We see that. We're also going to see what the works of the flesh are, the works of the flesh, the fruit of the Spirit, and then we're going to finish up with what true living is. Because that's what we really want for our lives, right? We want to live like we were supposed to live, in Christ, by the Spirit, not bound by laws or rules. Keep your devotions. If you don't, you're not right with God. Give. If you don't, you're not right with God. Serve. If you don't, you're not right with God. Vote the right way. If you don't, you must not be a Christian. Those are all meaningless. Those have nothing to do with the life that you've been called to through salvation. So let's look at this together, okay? We're going to start with verse 16. Again, notice what Paul says. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Okay, I want you to hear me for a moment. When you think about the rules that we live on, the rules that we live under, the rules that we have imposed upon ourselves, a lot of them have to do with the fact that we're trying to control our behavior. We're trying to get to a place where we're not going to sin. And so therefore... Therefore, we add these little rules in our lives to try to control our behavior. But then we come to what Paul says here, and actually there's something more that's going to guide and control us than keeping rules and laws. Let's look at what it says here. I think this is so important. First of all, living by the Spirit will keep you from fulfilling the desires 
of your flesh. Living by the Spirit will keep you from fulfilling the desires of the flesh. When he says here in verse 16, I say then, walk in the Spirit. What he's talking about here, what does it mean, walk in the Spirit? Is that some kind of special way to walk? No, no, he's talking about the way you live your life. Live your life in the Spirit. Now, what does that mean? Some kind of spiritual state ooh, that I'm in? No, no, it's not talking about that. When it talks about walking in the Spirit, it's talking about living a Spirit-filled life in which the Spirit of God who lives within you guides your life. And you are responding to him. And when you are guided by the Spirit and responding to him, you are not going to fulfill the desires of your flesh. You're not going to go off into sin. That's a lot more powerful in restraining you than just trying to keep the law. Because remember what we said. He's already said it many times in the first few chapters of Galatians that the law only does one thing. The law exposes the reality that you can't keep it. The law exposes the reality that you're a sinner. The law brings you to spiritual defeat. But if you and I are living by the Spirit, we're guided by Him, we're allowing Him to lead us, and we're responding to the Spirit, we're not going to fulfill the desires of the flesh. That's the first thing He tells us here. That's a spiritual reality. What do you mean a spiritual reality? That's truth, folks, but most of us don't know that because we're living our lives rather by keeping rules than allowing the Spirit to guide us. He goes on a little bit further. I want you to notice now, look with me at what he says in verse 17. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Here's the next thing I want you to see, folks. The next point. The key to the battle within you is being led by the Spirit. The key to the battle that's within you is being led by the Spirit. If you want to understand that battle that's going on, there is a battle that's going on within you and I. The battle where you want to do the right thing, but you don't do the right thing. Where The battle is where you don't want to do this, and you don't want to sin, and you want to stop that behavior, but you keep going back to it. And that's a battle that's in each and every one of us. Nobody has arrived. Do you understand? Every one of us is in the midst of this battle. This battle is described in Romans chapter 7. If you look... At the last half of that chapter, Paul very clearly describes this battle. The good that I want to do, I don't do. That which I want to do, I can't do. And he goes on and says, Oh, wretched man that I am, who can save me from this body of sin? Well, you know what the key to the battle is? The key to overcoming that struggle that he's describing here in Galatians is being led by the Spirit. 
and responding to him. And when you respond to him, look at what it says there in verse 18. And if you were led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. What does that mean, not under the law? That means the Spirit is the one who's guiding you. As you are responding to him, he's guiding you through life so that you don't engage in what you don't, rather than the law, which only exposes that you can't keep it. That's the reality of what's going on here. That's the spiritual reality. But here's the thing I want you to see. This is not some new truth, folks. Through the centuries, saints of old have been expressing this reality of the spirit-filled life being guided by that. But for most of us, we've been living our lives trying to live through rules and laws, and we've been frustrated and spiritually defeated. This is the spiritual reality that exists. For some of you, you need to reach out and grasp it. So then, so that he under, you and I understand the battle that's going on and the difference of being led by your flesh versus led by your spirit, he's going to express to us what the works of the flesh are. The works of the flesh. So if you notice with me at verse 19, he says this, Now the works of the flesh are evident which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, contentions, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. That phrase, and the like, is basically saying, and if there's something else that fits in this that I haven't covered, this covers it, and the like, Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Two things I want to show you here. Here's the first one. The results of giving in to the desires of your flesh are obvious to you. When he says that the works of the flesh are obvious, He's not talking about that anybody can see what they're doing because some of these things, to be honest with you, some of the things that he mentions here in this list of sins are not public sins, but rather they are private sins. Such as what, George? Envy, selfish ambitions, hatred. Yes, they can be manifested by actions, but you can actually have and exercise those sins do those sins without anybody knowing them because they're inside of you. So then how are they obvious? It's not so much that they're obvious to everybody outside. They're obvious to you. You know what they are. And the fact that he says, and the like, you know what the sins are that you crave, that you give in to. They're obvious to you. And when those things are a reality in your life, you know that you are not being led by the Spirit. That's the point that he's making here. You are not living in accordance with who you are and how you should be living. So the results of giving into the desires of your flesh are obvious to you. Here's the second thing he makes, though. This is an important point. Those who persist 
to indulge their sinful desires will not experience salvation. You're not saved. So if you have somebody that says, oh, I believe in Jesus, but they're continuing to live a life where they are constantly engaging in sinful behavior, no interest whatsoever in living the life that they were called to live by the Spirit, the chances are, Paul's saying here, folks, they're not saved. I don't care if they prayed a prayer when they were five years old. It's not real. Because they're just engaging in whatever their flesh wants. And they don't know Jesus. That's the reality of what Paul is saying here. And folks, this is not the only passage where he makes that point in the New Testament. That point is made over and over and over again. Those who persist to indulge their sinful desires will not experience salvation. But then Paul goes on contrasting the works of the flesh with the fruit of the Spirit. And that's what we're going to talk about here, is the Spirit's fruit in our life. The Spirit's fruit in our life. Now, before we look at this, I just need to make this point. There are some very sincere believers that for them the Holy Spirit is nothing more than the experience or the, quote, powerful experience that they get from him. And I understand that, but I'll be honest with you, if that's all you see is what the Spirit's experience in your life is some sort of experience, that's pretty shallow. Because what we're going to see here is that the Spirit actually does so much more in your life. And Paul brings it out in this passage. Look with me at verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. So again, I'm going to bring out two points here for you and I. Two points that you and I need to see here. Here they are. Number one, the Holy Spirit will produce spiritual change in your life. The Holy Spirit will produce spiritual change in your life. Now here's what I need you to grasp. Here's what I need you to see. Because sometimes for those of us who are maybe a part of church groups or church people who don't focus on the experience, we get kind of scared about the Holy Spirit's work in our life. But we don't need to. Because the issue isn't the experience you have with him. The issue is what change did he produce in your life? What change did he produce in your life? And what Paul is saying is, is when you and I are led by the Spirit of the God, when we, we are walking in the Spirit, he's going to produce a change in our life. What kind of change, George? Well, he's going to produce in our life, look at what it says, verse 22, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, 
kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. He's going to produce that in your life. You are going to change because he's working in you, guiding you. And when that change takes place, when you look at the issues of those things, you're not going to fall into those other sins, the works of the flesh. The Spirit will produce spiritual change in your life. Now, here's what I want you to see. The Spirit's work in your life does not produce anything contrary to the law. That's what he's saying here. At the end of verse 23, he says, against such there is no law. So when you think about the Spirit's work in your life, what he's producing in your life is not going to be anything that would be contrary to what God's law is and what you can't do. If anything, he takes you in a different direction. He takes you in the direction of being obedient to him and doing what God wants you to do and not give in to the desires of your flesh. So the Spirit's work does not produce anything that's contrary to the law. So we need to be led by the Spirit. So then, after he points that out to us, we get to verses 24 through 26, and he's going to talk about true living. Okay? True living. Let's look at these verses together. Look at verse 24. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Okay, so again, I'm going to show you two things here, okay, about true living. Who you are and the way you're supposed to live. And realize this truth. This will set you free if you understand it. Here's the first one. Believers have been set free from spiritual bondage imposed by the flesh. Believers have been set free from spiritual bondage imposed by the flesh. Look at what it says there again. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. You say, what do you mean crucified the flesh, George? I haven't died. No, you haven't died physically, but you've died spiritually to the desires of your flesh. You are no longer under the power of your flesh. You can say no to it. In fact, that's the point that he makes in Romans chapter 6. Notice these two verses, verse 5 and 6. Notice what Paul says here. He says, For we have been united together in the likeness of his death. Certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. See, true living is understanding that you, the old you who gave into the desires and the lusts of your flesh can now say no to it. And if you're led by the Spirit, folks, you're going to say no to it. You're going to be different. 
And that produces change in your life. Not keeping rules and laws. Because you and I both know you can keep rules and law and it produces no change in your life. You're just doing it because you were told to do it. But when the Spirit works change in your life, then that's something completely different. Something completely different. And then he goes on, verse 25 and 26, and says, choosing to live by the Spirit will be reflected in our attitudes and actions. Choosing to live by the Spirit will be reflected in our attitude and actions. Look at what he says, verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. If we're going to say we live by the Spirit, we need to live in the Spirit. We need to walk according to His guidance. We need to be directed by Him. And when we do that, let us not become conceited. That's an attitude, isn't it? Let us not provoke one another. Again, that's an action and how we are with other people comes out of an attitude. And let us not envy one another. Again, an attitude. Those things aren't going to take place when you are choosing to live by the Spirit. Do you see what true living is? You can say no to it. And you can live your life guided by the Spirit of God. Folks, the Spirit of God was given to you for a reason, not just for you to have an experience, but to produce change into life and to guide you. Isn't that what we see in John chapter 13 through 16? when he talks about sending another comforter to come alongside of us who will guide us and teach us. That's the role of the Spirit in our lives. For a lot of us, we need to allow the Spirit to begin to fulfill his role in our life. And you will see a difference in the way that you live your lives. So let me give you a couple things to think about as we try to take this passage about the new life that we have and we try to apply it to our lives. Here's two things I want you to think about. Here's the first one. It's time to start living the life you were meant to live. It's time to start living the life you were meant to live. It's time. Time to quit living your life by what grandma did in church 15, 20 years ago when you were a little one and you saw them. It's time to not worry about what that preacher says you should do or shouldn't do. It's about living your life by the Spirit. Now somebody will say, well, you seem to be saying that I can do whatever I want to do. No, 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 no. He's already told you that you have freedom not to do whatever you want to do. Your freedom is bound by your love for God and love for others. But rather you do what the Spirit is leading you to do, and guess what? You're not going to fulfill those desires of your life. It's time to start living your life differently. In the freedom, recognizing it's not what I do to gain acceptance with God. I'm already accepted with Him. I live out of that acceptance. It's time to start living the life you were meant to live. Here's the second thing I want you to see. You need to allow the Spirit to guide you and respond to Him. You need to allow the Spirit to guide you and respond to Him. So let me give you an example of what I'm talking about here. Okay? So for some of you, you live under this bondage of saying, well, I've got to have my devotions. I've got to read my Bible. If I can't get in and read my Bible, and if I don't pray, then I'm not right with God. The week's not right. The week's not where it should be. That's bondage. 
Well, shouldn't we read our Bibles, George? Yes. Shouldn't we pray? Yes. But why we read our Bibles and why we pray is not to gain his acceptance, it's because of acceptance. What do you mean, George? Well, here's what I'm saying. I want you to see. I read my Bible and I pray because I want the Spirit to guide me and I want to respond to him. You see the difference? So, for instance, when I was a child and I wanted to please my parents and I wanted to do what they wanted me to do, the only way that I could know what they were wanting from me and how they wanted me to go or what they wanted me to do was I needed to go to them and say, Mom, Dad, what do you want me to do next? Should I do this? Should I not do this? How do I handle this situation? And they would tell me. That's what we're talking about here. I read the word so God can speak to me. I pray so that I can speak to him and he can speak to me as well. I don't do it for acceptance. I do it because I am accepted. I do it because I am a child. So you need to allow the Spirit to guide you, and then you need to, as he's guiding you, respond. Why do you think then, Paul says this, don't quench the Spirit. Don't grieve the Spirit. How do you grieve the Spirit? How do you quench him? Well, if you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. When you've told your child what they should do and they don't do, that grieves you. That's the issue here, isn't it? You need to allow the Spirit to guide you and respond to Him. Now, folks, there is a new life out there different from the church culture life that most of us have been living under. It's the Spirit-filled life, the Spirit-led life. And you and I need to start living it. We need to start experiencing it. And when we do, we will be amazed at the change that God will bring in our lives. May that be true for all of us. Let me pray for you and I as we think about this.